think these questions are important sometimes because we just need to know what on earth are we living for? Is it to make money? To get a good job? Is it to raise your family? Is it to take your kids to ball practice? Is it worldly ambitions? What are you living for? Is it just to make it to retirement? Are you living now so that you can take it easy and do as little as possible later? Friends, no matter what your goal is in life, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have another goal. We must make it our goal in life to please God. Your goal in life to live in a way that pleases God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe it's page 1049 in the Bibles in front of you, the Apostle Paul shows us four ways. Four ways that Christians can live a life that pleases God. So follow along with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's just hear from the Apostle about ways to please God. Verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you get this, how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what we commanded, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Here we go. This is the will of God, your sanctification. I'll talk about that in a moment. Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but rejects God who has given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, I have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may be lacking nothing. The first way that we as believers can live a life that pleases God is by living a life of submission. Notice it again there in verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more. You should increase. Do this more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please 
God. Whatever it is you're doing that walks with God and pleases with God, you ought to do it more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Living a life of submission, our first and most, most important calling in life is to live a life of submission to God. Everything that we do as Christians comes from our willing surrender to Jesus Christ. Everything flows through that surrender. But let me ask you this question. At what point, at what point will you refuse to submit to God? At what point, when he asks you this thing, you say, that's far enough, God. I'm not doing it more. At what point will you refuse to submit to God? What is it that if God called you to do it, and you knew God was calling you to do it, you would say, uh-uh. For instance, if God commanded you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, would you do it? If God told you, I want you to teach children the word of God, would you do it? If God instructed you to tell lost people about Jesus Christ, would you do it? I heard Ed Gamble recently say, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. If God's people continue to give lip service, declaring that they love God, but putting no action behind those words, God will never send revival. If God's people continue to allow the world and this humanist society to pervade our lives and to teach our children, y'all, we won't have a nation. If God's people continue to avoid sharing the only good news that can save a lost person from hell, then you got to wonder, what in the world are you here for? Why didn't God just take you on up to heaven when you got saved? The reason is for all of these reasons and more. He wants you to live a life that pleases him and points other people to Jesus Christ. That's the only reason you're still here. You see, at whatever point, at whatever point we choose to refuse, say that with me, choose to refuse, and we all got that point, okay? I've got that point, sadly, where I choose to refuse to submit to God. Whatever that point is, that's the point where you will stop growing in God and stop maturing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must get to the point 
where we choose to refuse nothing when it comes to submitting our life to God. Verse 1 kind of gently reminds us that we have a responsibility. We have a high calling from God himself, our Father in heaven, to walk and live a life that pleases him. And that involves submitting to his perfect will. See, our will is not perfect. God's will is perfect. So let me ask you this. Are you fulfilling your responsibility to God? Are you doing that that pleases him? Are you walking in a way that points other people to him? Are you pleasing the Father? Is God pleased with how you're living in every area of your life, A to Z. You might think, Brother Billy, he's pleased with me on Sunday mornings. <laughs> he's pleased with me on some Sunday nights when I'm getting trained up. But man, he can't be pleased with me when I get off with my friends. He can't be pleased with some of the language I use. He can't be pleased with some of the prideful, puffed-up attitudes I carry. He can't be pleased with some of the things I do. See, submission is a word that has received a bad rap. We think submission is bad because we've got to give up something. But really, what does submission mean? Submission basically is the willful, the voluntary act of yielding to achieve the greater good. We yield, we surrender to Jesus because we know that's the greater good. But for some reason, sometimes we substitute our thoughts of greater good over Jesus' thoughts of greater good. Submission is yielding to what is true, his greater good. It's a voluntary act, but listen up. Be, to be followers of Jesus and to be people who please God. We have got to learn this issue. We've got to lose or learn this, the importance of submitting to God's will. And listen, I believe with all that's in me that participating in a ministry like the Grow Outreach Ministry is a voluntary act of submission that pleases God. When you say, I'm too tired, I don't want to, I'd rather do something else, but you do it anyway, that is a voluntary act of submission saying, I see the greater good in coming and serving in that capacity in the GROW Outreach Ministry. The only question remains is, will you submit? So to please God, we ought to live a life of submission, but there's another one. We also ought to live a life of purity. I read this story about this eight-year-old girl who went outside to her dad who was working out in the yard, and she asked him, Daddy, what is sex? Daddy thought, well, if she's old enough to ask, then maybe she's old enough to get a straight answer. And so he started explaining to her all about the birds and the bees. And when he finished, the little girl 
looked at her daddy with her mouth hanging wide open. And her father asked her, why did you ask me that, darling? And the little girl said, Mama told me that dinner was ready, or dinner would be ready in a couple sacks. <laughs> y'all a little bit slow this morning. Change, change the time, gonna got y'all off, amen? Here's my point. <laughs> Our children and our young people are being bombarded and targeted by a multitude of sexual images from every conceivable direction. And we as adults ought to understand that God takes a strong stand when it comes to sexual purity. Otherwise, how on earth are they going to learn? Now, there's a couple of points I want to make in this area of sexual purity. One, first of all, it is God's will for his people to be sanctified and pure. Follow up with me there in the verse, first part of verse 3. He says... This is the will of God. Now, when you say, hear something like that, this is the will of God, you better listen up. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Again, I'll explain that in a moment. But now look at verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. To holiness. See, being sanctified is this lifelong process that every Christian goes through where we are being made holy and set apart for something special by God. Friend, if you're a Christian and you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are special. You are special. If Jesus is the Lord of your life and you belong to God, the Bible says that it is His perfect will that you are set aside for something special by God Himself. But for this to occur, you are also called to separate yourself from uncleanness. You are also called to separate yourself from worldly living, from unclean living, and from sexual impurity. It's God's will that we be sanctified, made holy and pure. But also, participating in impure activities is not God's will. It's not. Verse 3 again, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Listen, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. We learned in our last Sunday night series that God will not use a defiled vessel for holy purposes. God will not use a contaminated person for holy reasons. The world says sex outside of marriage is okay. But God says that we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind as to what is the pure and acceptable perfect will of God. Let us not become part of what the world calls okay. Because we belong to God, 
because we desire to remain in his will. We are called to resist temptation. We are called to exercise discipline. And we are called to remain faithful to God even in this area of sexual purity. Now here's another point I want to make. Purity depends, at least in part, on your self-control. The flesh is going to do what the flesh wants to do unless it's controlled. Look at what verse 4 says. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Peter said it this way. He said, y'all need to be thinking clearly. Can I put a little... Brother Billism on this. Y'all need to be thinking clearly. You need to start exercising a little bit of self-control. He said, I want you to look forward to the special blessings that will come to you through Jesus Christ if you're pure. Obey God because you're his children. Don't slip back. Don't slip back into your old ways. Be holy in everything you do just as he who saved you is holy. Depends, at least in part, on our own self-control. But this last point is this. When we live impure lives, you're cheating somebody else. If you're in a relationship as a young person, a sexual relationship as a young person, you are cheating that other person out of their sexual purity. So not only do you have to uh, face God about your own, but you're going to have to face God for somebody else's too. You're cheating somebody. So Paul is reminding us here that this issue of holiness, man, it's serious business. Sometimes we, we look so much at the grace of God and we look so much at the love of God that we don't look at the holiness of God. And we ignore it. And we say, oh, God will forgive me later. And we commit these presumptuous sins. Don't dare go there. In fact, listen to what God says. He, he says that he'll repay those. That he will be the avenger of those who don't abstain from sexual immorality. So how in the world can we avoid sexual immorality and be as holy as God wants us to be? Well, one way is to avoid temptation. Now, tonight, in the messages this evening, uh, we're going to start talking about handling temptations in life. We all need to know how to do that from a scriptural point of view. We need to learn how to avoid temptations, how to stay out of the devil's play playground. But we also need to pray, to pray for protection. Remember what Jesus said? He said, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but... Deliver us from the evil one. I think we also need to learn how to lean on the Lord a little bit. I think we need to learn how to put up a fight for a change. I think that we need to learn how to hide the word of God in our hearts. I think that we need to learn that whatever we got to do, we got to do it. I remember when the Marriage Covenant Life Group went and saw uh, the movie, uh, or actually we showed the movie uh, Fireproof here, and we did the love dare in our class. But I remember that character that Kirk Cameron played. He was a fireman, and he was addicted to pornography on his computer. 
and he got so fed up with it. He prayed about it. He tried to walk away from it. He tried to do everything he could to avoid this addiction to pornography that he had. But you know what he had to do? He had to jerk that monitor out of the plug, grab that hard drive out of the plug, take it out to the dumpster, and throw the whole thing in the dumpster. He got rid of it. Whatever we got to do to abstain from sexual immorality, we got to do it. So pleasing God certainly is living a life of submission. It's certainly living a life of purity. But to please God, we also must live a life of love. Look there again in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brothers who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You're doing a good job, but you need to increase in love more and more. Paul wrote to those Thessalonians, and I say the same thing to you here at Bethel. I am so proud that concerning brotherly love, I just don't have much to say to you. Because you've already provided the evidence that you love one another. Jesus said, by this I've given you an example that you should do, having done this, that all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, God expects us to show love to people. God expects us to show love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he expects us to do it not only in word, but in deed as well. And man, oh man, do y'all do it. I don't ever walk out of here on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, or in any ministry opportunity where I don't walk out of here feeling loved. But listen, we've got to do it more and more. That's the encouragement of the scriptures this morning. We've got to do it more and more. We have to increase and abound in love more and more. You know, I've received a lot, or I've read about a lot of bad advice from Dear Abby, but this one's good. It says this, Dear Abby, I'm writing about a change that I've seen in church. I can't get used to the fellowship time of greeting and handshaking. I attend church to meditate and worship with my family. I don't go to shake hands with strangers as dictated by the pastor. I like people. I'm naturally caring, outgoing, and friendly. However, I think that greeting and hugging and handshaking should come from my heart. I've mentioned this to a lot of my friends from different faiths and different ages and different walks of life. And none of them like this scheduled greeting either. Many say they head for the restroom before the fellowship time. Or they just shake hands with the people they came with. Or they come to church late so they can avoid the handshaking time. Other people have just said to me, you know what, it's just kind of unsanitary. What do you think, Abby? Signed, minister's daughter. Oh, I'm not done. Dear daughter, thank you for asking my opinion. Here it is. Something is desperately wrong in our fragmented society if for one moment in the house of God we can't find it in our hearts to reach out and make sure that somebody feels welcome, that somebody feels loved. And if you feel it's unsanitary, bring Germex. 
part of living to please God is learning to love people. Part of living to love God is learning to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we do that? Well, certainly by being friendly, by being quick to greet one another. If you hear them on the other aisle of the grocery store, don't run that way. Run that way, amen? I'm looking to see who's grinning and giggling. How do we do this? How about by praying for one another? You know it's hard to pray for somebody you don't love. How about by checking on somebody if they're sick or absent from church? How about ministering to one another in any way we can? To please God, we've got to be loving other people. And I'll just tell you right now, that's the primary goal of the Grow Outreach Ministry. is to share love. There are those in our church family, maybe you've not even ever met them, but they're part of our family. There are those in our community who would love to be where you are right now. If I could count the times that I've heard, oh, how I'd love to be at Bethel. But for some reason, they can't. And so if we're going to be pleasing to God, we have to make it our mission. We have to make it our mission to take the love of God outside of these walls and into their living room. And again, we provide this incredible opportunity through the Grow Outreach Ministry. But there's a last way that we can please God, and that is, Paul says, to live a life of influence. Look in verse 11 with me. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Say outside. Outside. Influence, impact, making a difference outside and that you may lack nothing. See, God tells us that as believers we are to live lives that are free from unnecessary trouble, free from unnecessary conflict. But did you ever notice that trouble seems to follow some people wherever they go? you met them before, haven't you? Every time they go to Walmart, Somebody pulls into their spot. You've been there, haven't you? Every time they go to town, they get behind the slowest driver in Alabama driving in the left lane. Anybody been there? Is that just me? God, there's two of us. Praise the Lord. Every time a young person comes and asks mom and daddy, can we do something? They say no. Can I just tell you something this morning? How we respond to trouble, how we respond to conflict is often our best opportunity to have a great Christian influence. If I'm tailgating that left lane driver and I'm muttering stuff under my breath and I ain't got no business muttering, what kind of influence will I have? If mama tells you no and you commence to throwing a fit and copping a bad attitude, what kind of Christian influence is that? So those troubles are the best opportunity we have 
for a solid Christian influence. See, God calls us to lead a quiet life, a less is better, a simple is greater kind of life. But I want you to notice here that he also calls us to mind our own business. Now, if somebody tries to help you by pointing out some sin in your life, uh, don't think that you can tell them, oh, the Bible says you need to mind your own business because that's not what the Bible is talking about here. It tells us that we're called to be responsible, responsible for our own lives, that we're called to take responsibility for whatever happens in our lives, to take responsibility and respond in a way that brings glory to God. We need to take advantage of those opportunities because trouble follows us everywhere we go. So every single day you live in this opportunity-rich environment where you can have a good influence. You need to take responsibility for those opportunities. God also calls us to be hardworking. People should want to hire Christians. Why? Because they're hard workers. They work hard. But some Christians feel like after a while, man, I think I'm ready for retirement. Can I just tell you that in the Christian life, there ain't no such thing as retirement? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. It was all young people that said that, by the way. <laughs> Listen here. Slackers don't please God. Slackers don't please God one iota. And they certainly aren't a good influence. And the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Are you walking a life of faith? Are you living that life of faith? The Bible also tells us that we ought to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. This passage I'm sharing this morning really can help with your examination. Let me ask you these questions. Are you submitting to God's will for your life? Is holiness a priority for you? Do you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones that are inside the walls and outside the walls? Are you influencing other people using those troublesome opportunities to make an impact for Jesus? Are you pleasing God? Do you even want to? Every one of you have got a golden ticket. <laughs> I took Brenda, Brenda Tarpley's golden ticket to her in the intensive care unit last night. And she told me to make sure I filled one out for her. She wants to be pleasing to God. And friend, if you don't feel like you are pleasing to God, I want you to know that it can be so if you'll place your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That will open you up to a whole new opportunity. So today I want to encourage you during our decision time today. This decision time is for everybody. Every single one of us here today. If you just fill that golden ticket out, it's very self-explanatory. Your name, address, and phone number. First of all, check, yeah. Once a month, nine hours out of 8,760 this year. I'm going to give it to I want to give it to Jesus. I want to please God. Once a month. 
I prefer either the first Tuesday or the third Tuesday. Six o'clock is and we're prompt. We start at six and we finish at seven, if we can. And you just check one of those boxes. Maybe you want to come all the time. I love coming all the time. Kathy loves coming all the time. There are many others that come all the time. There are many others that they're, they're grow, doing the Grow Outreach ministry all week long. And that's great. Maybe Tuesdays don't work good for you. And you just need us to give you a buzz and find out what day does. Maybe you want to come and do some work here at church in the invigoration team on Saturday. It doesn't matter. It's not about the legalistic part. It's just about pleasing God. Okay, so just check one of those. And then we even want to find out how, how you want to plug in. Maybe you want to visit with, with somebody else. We'll never send you on a visit by yourself. Maybe you want to sing with a group of other people and go make somebody's day. It always does. Maybe you want to make calls or write cards or work on the church grounds, pray or redecorate life group room, um, perhaps share a personal testimony. Whatever it is, I just want you to take that golden ticket. And when the music begins, you just come and there's a, a basket here at the foot of the cross. Because this ain't about doing nothing for me. And it's not about doing anything for Bethel Baptist Church. It's all about doing something to please God. I pray you'd consider doing that. Nine hours out of 8,760. That's 1% of, that's one-tenth of 1% of your total time this year, given for one reason, exclusively to please God. I pray that's something you consider today. I'm going to pray, and uh, then Brother Tristan's going to join me here in just a second, and I want to share some good news with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I praise you and thank you for your constant blessing on our life. And Father, I pray that as a church family, as the body of Christ here at Bethel, we strive to be pleased. Lord, whether it be in love, in submission, in purity, or in influence, Father, we can be, uh, make such a difference if we're just willing. Father, I also...